Our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 22. And our sermon title today is Fighting Temptation. <coughs> this is the Lord's word. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participant? participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I apply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. There are many temptations that we as people face in this world. There are temptations that we as individuals face when the world around us keeps telling us and keeps showing us that who we are depends upon their definition of what success looks like. They tell us that we need to have such and such a house, have X amount of money in our bank accounts. There are some of us who will say to you, you, you need to be married in order to be successful, or you need to have children to be successful. Some of them will measure you, and you often measure yourself by how good of a parent you are. And you look at your children, and you often say, I need to have my kids behave and act a certain way 
in order for me to look successful. And these temptations that, that flood our hearts and flood our minds bring about anxiety, bring about fear, and it bring about a desire to have these idolatries fulfilled more than anything else. I still remember when I was a college kid and I would look at parents who had kids and if the kids were unruly, the first thing that would go to my mind would be, it's the parents' fault. But little did I realize that I was setting myself up as a parent because I already had set up that idolatry that the success of the parents depends upon the children. And so what happens, when I become a parent, I use that same measure on myself. And if my, my kids aren't behaving and doing well, then I feel like a failure, because I already set that up. There are some of us here in this room who, who look at each other and look at the different stages of life that we have. And we look at them in certain ways of they must be doing well or not doing well. Some of us enjoy our singleness and really treasure what the Lord has done for us. Some of us are impatient with our singleness and are wondering what the Lord is doing with us. But all of these things that when we look at our stages of life, it comes down to simply, am I really who I am depending upon what type of relationship I have with other people, depending upon my marital status, depending upon whether I have children or not? And do we as a church and do we as a people judge others according to that same standard? Or even worse, do we judge ourselves by that same standard as well? There is a temptation that, that continues to go on in this church in this world that keeps us from seeing who God is and what he has done for us. That gives us joy. That gives us peace. That enables us to look at one another simply as people made in the image of God. Who the Lord is growing in his time, in his wisdom, by his will, for his glory. There's an impatience for many of us who want God to change other people rather than for God to change me. And these temptations continue and will continue until the Lord returns. But the question isn't how to get rid of the temptations. Let me say that again. The question isn't how we should get rid of the temptations. The question is, is how do we endure those temptations in order to please our God, in order to free ourselves, in order to have the joy in loving one another and loving our Lord. This passage is a passage of warning. 
And I know that some of you who've, who are believers here, you might be saying to me, Pastor Young, why is it that a lot of our messages, I know you talk about the gospel and hope, but a lot of your messages are messages of warning to us. If you look at scripture, we see that Jesus and Paul do the same thing. Who is Jesus and Paul the harshest to? The religious people. To those who call on the name of Christ. Who is he the most gentle with? Those who do not know God at all. And the reason is this. He wants you to make sure. He wants us to make sure as a church and as an individuals that we know Jesus and that our hope really does rest in him. You see here in this passage, Paul is not addressing. He doesn't call, he's addressing a covenant community. He doesn't say, those of you who believe, those of you who don't believe, He's addressing the whole covenant community and he's saying to them, listen, do you remember the Old Testament? Remember Jesus brought out the nation of Israel. They crossed the Red Sea and he saved all of those people who are Israel. And the way he puts it here is that they were under the same cloud and they passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses. In other words, they were one together with the leadership of Moses himself. They drank the same spiritual food, the manna which came from heaven that the Lord provided. They drank the same spiritual water, the, the rock that sprung forth to, to, to quench the thirst of the Israelites. For all intents and purposes, this was God's people. This was the church, per se. And yet, what happens to all of these people? Many of them fell into temptation and fell away. This is sobering for all of us. To look at our own hearts. To ask ourselves, are we falling away? And to plead the Lord for mercy. To bring us back. And to return to us as David says eloquently in Psalm 51. Restore to us the joy of my salvation. Help us to sing songs to you in praise. Help me to write poetry no matter how bad it is about the love that I have in Christ and the riches that have been assured for me in heaven and the spirit that is the seal in my heart that I belong to him. What were some of these temptations that they had? And what can we learn from these as God's people? Remember, you will always be in temptation. The battle is always before you. 
there is no rest for us as God's, belie- as God's people. That if we are not fighting temptation, then we are giving the devil the upper hand. There is no time for rest in this world. Rest comes when the Lord returns. But there's something joyful about being in this battle. Because we see in the midst of this battle that we are doing what we were meant to do. Fight a spiritual battle. To beat Satan back. To rescue brothers and sisters in Christ. To rescue those who are hopeless and without help. To do the work that God has given us. talking with people in the military. And I've talked with uh, <coughs> you know, Joanne's brother and, and Alex Quad and some of these other people and, and asking them, it's like, where do you want to be stationed? What, what do you want to do? They, they, they say to me, they, they want to be in the Middle East. They want to fight. They want to do what they were trained to do. They don't want to sit somewhere in the States just twiddling their thumbs and waiting. They were trained to be a medic. They were trained to fight. You train someone to fight and you put them in a, behind a, a desk and they go crazy. We as believers we are trained to fight. And the fight is ever before us. And what we have here in the Old Testament is an example, a negative example of how Israel failed. Let's see what happened. First of all, (coughs) excuse me, one of the major temptations that they had comes for us in Exodus 32. We look at it in verse 7. It says, Do not be idolatrous as some of them, whereas it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You might say, well, what, what's that passage from? What's he talking about? Paul is alluding to Exodus 32 and the story of the golden calf. You might remember this story. God has brought them out during they're encamped in the wilderness. Moses says, hey, wait. I'm going to go up to mountain We'll go talk with our God, and I'll be back. So Moses goes up to the mountain to talk with the Lord, to receive the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the Covenant. And the people are getting antsy. It's been too long. Where is Moses? Where is he? What are we going to do? And the people started grumbling, and they, and they said to Aaron and to his, his brothers, like, we've got to do something. Could you make, make, us, make us an idol, make us a golden calf, that we may be like the other nations, that we might worship this calf. Now, you might see this story and see, this is clearly wrong. There's no way that I would ever do anything like this. 
But if you read the passage clearly, you'll see that the people say, listen, let's make this calf that we may worship the gods, plural. And so the intent of some of the people was to be like the people around them and say, hey, let's just worship many gods, and perhaps Yahweh is just one of those gods who will worship him. But the intent of Aaron was different. He said, this calf is Yahweh. And we're going to worship this calf as the one who's represented us in coming out of Egypt. Do you see that distinction? The two different ways that people saw that? There were some in Israel who, who just went off their rockers and said, listen, maybe it was Yahweh, maybe it was someone else. It doesn't matter. Let's just worship all of them. And this golden calf will represent that. But then there's Aaron and some of the priests, probably some of the people too, who simply said, no, we believe it's Yahweh. But we've got to do something so that we know we're worshiping him. And Moses isn't coming back down. So the only proper way for us to worship him is to be like the other nations and to make something that represents God. See, the temptations that that you and I have as God's people are not going to be, hopefully, our eyes are open enough to know that, listen, we're not going to worship a piece of wood. Neither are we going to worship money. We see that clearly. But there is a temptation to call something God that's not God. To call something Jesus that's not Jesus. To build idolatries, symbols, and call it a relationship with Jesus when it's not a relationship with Jesus. This is why the second commandment warns against making idols, even if it is representing who you believe is the Yahweh, Jesus himself. Because before you know it, you start to worship the God who you make in your image rather than the God has revealed himself to you. We've all done this. And I can think of it this way. Some of you in your minds have an idea of what the perfect friend should look like. You do. What the perfect spouse should look like. You do. Or in my instant, what the perfect child should look like. (laughs) You do. And when that friend comes along, when that spouse comes along, when that child comes along, you project. This is what you need to be because this is the image that I have what this relationship should look like. And when that relationship isn't fulfilled according to that, 
get stressed, you get frustrated, you lash out, you get angry. And before you know it, you don't know what a friend is, you don't know what a spouse is, you don't know what it means to be a father, you don't know what it means to be a mother, you don't know what it means to be a friend, a son or a daughter anymore. We do the same thing with God. The more and more we demand of God to look like what we want him to look like, the way we continue to want to worship God according to how we want to worship God, the less the God that is revealed in the Bible looks like the God that we want. Listen, God has revealed to us, has he not, how to worship him? Has he not? And they're very simple things. His word is his word. It's the wisdom for all of God's people. In his word, he reveals to us his plan for all things. It's his war plan. of how he's going to defeat evil in this world. It's his war plan of every one of your roles. And yet we don't read the Bible. I would rather worship God by X, Y, and Z. Let me just simply take long walks in the park. He's revealed to us how we should worship him by praying to the Lord. And he's revealed to us in the Lord's Prayer how we should pray. And yet many of us decide that we want to pray according to how we feel and what makes us feel good. I want to pray when I want to pray. And I'm not going to pray if I don't want to pray. God says to us, this is how I've revealed myself. You must pray with me. And in the community of believers that is here, you are God's treasure. God's community here is God's treasure. I encourage you to read the article I posted in the back, but every one of you is a treasure to me. And you should be a treasure to one another. And you should treat each other accordingly. Because one day when the Lord comes back and the war is over, we will be rejoicing together. And it doesn't matter what station or what responsibilities you have in this life. But we know that the Lord will use all of us. Whether we're limping along in this world. Or not. But what happens when we decide 
to worship God, still call him Jesus. But reinterpret Jesus according to our own hearts. The most obvious is that we see churches all over the world who claim that they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in his teachings at all. It's, hopefully that's easy for us to see. When someone denies that you don't when someone denies that Jesus' death actually takes away sins, you, you can see there's something wrong with that. <coughs> but when you believe in Jesus and you rework it so that prayer is not important, scripture's not important, loving brothers and sisters isn't important. Are we not doing the same thing? And what happens is what? You will fall away from God. You'll resent the people who are around here. And we'll be lost. Now God does something harsh here. Penalty of death. Penalty of death. This is the reality, even for us in Christ. That even though we belong to this covenant community, that there is a chance that if we don't keep fighting temptation, that we could fall away. if we keep defining Christ according to our own desires we'll keep falling away other things that are happening there temptation eating in, in temples now what this is talking about is, is some of God's people were participating in the sacrifices and eating together knowing full well that they were sacrificing to demons. For us as God's people, our allegiance is to no one but to Christ alone. Sexual immorality. This is, this is still huge in our world today. There are people in this world like the idea of Jesus but don't want to give up their sexual freedoms as they so call it I don't know if it's come down here in the south yet um, really not around young people as much as I used to be but up north a lot of people would say to me I, I like your morality but I don't want to be a Christian because I want to do what I want to do with my body And lastly, we see in 1 John 2.15, right? What are some of the temptations? Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is going to fade away. 
build your inheritance, build your resume, build your savings in heaven. Love God, invest in people around you. The Lord will reward you. You know, I've 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 always been into reading about finances, and you get to read about these people who make lots of money and then they retire and they have nothing. Then you, you read these other stories of people who live the frugal lifestyle, and you know, in the end, they retire well. And you know, it's like ha 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 ha, you know. Let me tell you, it's not going to be ha-ha, though. It's going to be more of sadness. For when the Lord returns, there's only one thing that that will matter at that point. Have you persevered to the end? Have you used all the resources and all the things that God has given you to love him and to love other people? So the question is, how do you overcome temptation? How do you overcome any of these temptations that the Lord places upon you? First, in verse 12, recognize that the battle is real. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. In other words, if you think you're doing well, then you're the one who has to listen the most because you are the one who's prone to fall. In other words, if someone asks you the question, hey, how's, how's your walk with the Lord? You know, what, what temptations are you fighting? And the only thing you can do is go, just shrug your shoulders and go, oh, I guess I'm doing okay. You're the one that needs to take heed. On the other hand, if I asked you, how's your Christian walk? What, what are your temptations? And you start, so you sit down and you go, Pastor Young, you have an hour? <laughs> Can we talk? And you're in the fight. You are where you should be. Recognize that the battle is real. If, if you haven't seen it, if your eyes have been closed to it, if the, if the cares of this world have gotten to you, if the, the pressures of family, the pressures of, of work have gotten to you, that you've forgotten the spiritual reality of the things that are around you, take a step back. Go to the Lord and see that the battle isn't around you. The battle is in your heart. Because let me tell you, and I hope you guys already know this, you, people who are older should already know this, those same temp- temptations, those same problems, they'll come back again and again and again and again and again and again. They're not going anywhere. The battle's in your heart. Second, there are no such thing as special cases in your temptations that you have. 
And there's two ways that you can, you can look at this. He says, there's no temptation that's not common to man. There's two ways that you can look at this. <coughs> the first is, is one of hope. And some of you feel like this temptation is even too big for God. My heart is just so hard. My temptations in sexuality is just, just overwhelming. My temptations and my anger is just, it's just so great. I keep falling. God can't change me. She just, she just can't change me. There is no remedy to fix this man. There is no remedy to fix you. Let me tell you. Why did Jesus come then? Are we saying Jesus really isn't enough? That Jesus can't heal people and change people? Jesus knows everything. There is no temptation that you have had that God does not already know about and God does not always, God doesn't look and say, Oh, my goodness, this is a 1% case. We need, to, we need a special committee to figure this out. There's none of that. God knows everything. The second way of looking at it is this. Some of you are too proud. Say, listen, my case is very special. I need a special application of God's grace. God, um, listen, I know you're taking care of everyone else, but let me step to the front of the line. Let me show you my problem. Let me show you how special it is. And I need you to work in a miraculous, special way. God will open your eyes. And he'll show you everyone else who has that same problem. And he'll show you the same remedy. It's the same for all. Then we must trust in Christ. Confess our sins for making ourselves the center of, of every issue and every problem. And to know that God has taken care of that at the cross already that we can love and share. Thirdly, he always provides a way out. He does not test you beyond your ability. If you can see your sin and how you are wronging God, then you can change it. It's as simple as that. If God has showed you your sin and it's clear to you that you're sinning against the Lord, you can change it. He will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. He will not give you, tempt you in, in, in such a way that you can't see what you need to change. He doesn't ask you to have a PhD level of fighting sin when you're simply in elementary school. He will show you what you need to change, and you can change it. But that goes to saying this, as a, God's, a community of God, 
if someone loving comes to you and shows you your sin, you can confess and you can change it. There is no, I can't do this. There is no, this is too hard for me. Because at the core of it is your unwillingness to fight that battle. Unwillingness, a selfishness. Fourthly, escaping temptation isn't the same thing as freedom from temptation. You need to endure it. We, we have this skewed vision of understanding what it means to, to, um, to fight sin. Listen, when I'm with my child and I'm getting frustrated because they're throwing a little bit more sass at me than usual, right? I can react two ways. One is to get angry, squash it, and walk away going, ha, 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 I won that battle. And I've done that many times. I'm not proud, proudly at that point, but I shouldn't have done that. Second thing, which I expect to work is, Listen, I'll sit them down. I'll talk with them for about 30 seconds. They'll understand, and they'll say, Sorry, Dad, your wisdom is so profound. I understand exactly what I need to do now. Thank you so much. And all is well. That doesn't happen either. And many of us want, when we have temptation, that we, can, we, we look at it, and we solve it, and it's gone. You have sexual temptation. You have that temptation... And then you deal with it, and it's gone. It doesn't work that way. It says you will endure temptation. You walk through temptation. You walk through it, and you keep saying, no, 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 no. And keep saying to the Lord, yes, 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 yes. It's not discrete. It's a continuum. Do you understand that? Overcoming temptation. It's not about not having any more temptation. Overcoming temptation is not to solve temptation. Overcoming temptation is to walk through it and be able to say no to it and yes to the Lord. Does it feel like you've you have complete victory? It never does. but it puts in your heart a longing for that complete victory when Christ returns. It puts in your heart a dependence upon God. It puts in your heart a softness to repent. It puts in your heart a desire to cling to the Savior. And we just keep marching fighting the battle together. And so, yes, it's true. You will not have victory completely over sin in this life. 
yes, it's true. That one thing that you want to change about yourself or change about that other person, it will not be complete. But can you fight through it? The answer is yes. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. Can you do it? Yes. Is Jesus magnified in it? Yes. Do you feel spiritually aware of your weakness and, and God's presence in your life? Oh my goodness, yes, you do. And that feeling of dependence that you have in God is life. If something is hard for you to walk with God and you run away, you're not getting anywhere. If you want to twist that into, into some kind of, if you want to twist that temptation and to, and to make it into something that's, that, that's, that's manageable for you, and you manage your sins, you're going to stop depending upon God. But let us endure. And lastly, he tells us in verse 14, <coughs> oftentimes in the midst of endurance, when it just gets really hard, what do you do? You run away. And I, and I love this. Is that, is that sometimes the best thing that you can do when temptation's in your face and you don't know what to do because you're feeling weak in the knees, you run away from that temptation. Now, that doesn't mean if the temptation is your spouse, you run away from your spouse. That doesn't mean if your, your temptation is, is from your, your, your pet, that you, you abandon your pet. What it means is this, is that if you are going to if you are going to be tempted to sin in that situation, just walk away. Walk away. Take some deep breaths. Come to the Lord. Remind yourself, whatever happens, it's okay. I belong to Jesus. Jesus is mine. Jesus loves me. In the end, Heaven will be perfect. This is the battle that God has given me to help further his glory, to help this person to grow in Christ, and for me to teach me what it means to love, not with my power, but with Jesus' power. So Lord, help me. And go back. We as Christ Covenant Church, we are one with Christ. And Christ is one with us. When we share in the bread and the cup together, we remind ourselves that our identity is hidden in Jesus. Your old self is buried in the grave with Christ. Don't dig it back up. Your past and your sins and the past are buried with Christ. Don't 
resurrected. Christ is alive and well, and so are you and him. You are a new creature in him. You are his army, and you can fight, and we can battle together. For he's called us one body in Christ. We can't do it alone. But each one of us needs to play our role. And each one of us needs to be helped. There will be times where we have to carry each other. Carry each other and don't complain that they're so heavy. Just carry them. Carry them. On the other hand, if you need to be carried, tell someone, I need to be carried. Repent to one another. Share your weaknesses. Share your, your sins and your struggles, your temptations. That, the, that, that Satan will not get a foothold. When someone says, hey, let's make something in the image of, let's, let's, make, an, let's make a calf in the image of our God and, and make this into something that, <coughs> that we can understand about Jesus a little bit more earthy, each of you say to each other, are you Crazy, can't do that. Satan likes to divide. In the military, what you want to do is to divide people. Pick them off one by one. But together... as one unit fighting the battle against Satan we can overcome my prayer for this church is that we would never rest that whatever God gives to us in this world as a blessing whatever whatever worldly gifts that the Lord gives you here praise him for it but as he does, may we continue to remember where our fight is. May we be those people who are in the trenches together. May we not sort of focus on the peripheries, the good peripheries, but nonetheless, many times, peripheries of our identities, what we do, our status. But let's look at the bullets that Satan is throwing upon us. Let's look at the fears that we have about fighting our enemies. And let us battle together well. That we may gain the inheritance that Christ has promised us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we ask of you, Lord God, to bless us, Lord Help us to see the fight, the temptations before us. Lord, we are, pe we, we are a people. We confess we are a people that does not confess sins to you. Yes, we like to say that, yeah, we're struggling, or we like to say, yeah, I'm not a good person. But Lord, rarely do we come to you for mercy and say, Lord, we sinned against you and you alone. Rarely, Lord, do we receive affirmation from you and 
receive joy in you, that it's Jesus that makes us who we are. Father, we'd rather get a pat on the back from friends or family, say, they're there, you're not that bad. But Lord, you and you alone have the power to heal, the power to give us hope and joy. So Lord, this passage is a warning to us, Lord. But it's a warning, Lord, not to scare us, but it's a warning, Lord, to point us in the right direction that we may be a church and a people who long for you, who are your soldiers, who are your people. So we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.